airways Here is my request You don't have to play it But I hope you'll do your best I've been listening to your show on the radio And you seem like a friend to me Howdy hi, Victoria Stand the man Hello Oh, don't get up, it's only me. Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420-3XY. How are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six. 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3DE, the breeze 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420 3XY. Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves, uh, 30 minutes or so where we catch up with the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. And this week, we break new ground on pilots as we welcome our first lady of the airwaves, someone who woke us up in the morning and proved the old broadcasting adage that behind many reasonably competent male breakfast announcers, there's generally an intelligent, witty, effervescent, bubbly female really carrying the team. Gently rocking 3XY. Hey, Liz Sullivan, welcome to Pilots of the Airwaves and thanks for joining us. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, let's start off with those high school years. Uh, what were some of those reoccurring comments that were written on Elizabeth Sullivan's school reports? Um, she does not concentrate. She's wag school again. She's been a very naughty girl. She got naught out of 100 for maths. She flunked algebra, but she excelled in English, thank God. Something good. Why aren't we surprised with those answers, I wonder? <laughs> now, while concentrating on your homework at night, who were some of the jocks that you were keeping company with on your transistor radio? You know, back in those days, my favourite jock was Grantley D. I think it was 3AK, wasn't it? I loved him, Grantley D. I think I was about 13. And he was one of the kings of the airwaves in Melbourne. And he was just sensational. Loved him. Grantley was my favourite bar mile. Now, on leaving school, what were your ambitions and at what stage did the radio environment come onto your radar? Um, I was a bit of a wild child. I actually became a secretary when I left school and I worked for barristers and solicitors and Supreme Court judges as a secretary girl Friday in those days. Then my life changed probably late 70s when I went for a job at 3 Rocks, Melbourne, as the secretary of the national sales manager, Rex Collins. I remember trotting across Spencer Street to the Age Building, where 3XY was, and um, meeting Rex, and he and I got on like a house on fire. The most unusual job interview, because we both sat there and smoked our way through it. I mean, I'm talking late 70s here. It was a haze of smoke, because you know what? We go really well. You're hard on the spot, and my radio career started then, indeed, as a secretary. So what was so exciting about working at 250 Spencer Street in the late 70s? Oh, my God, it was just like a rock and roll cauldron. It was like everything was happening. The whole of Melbourne, I think, listened to 3XY in those days. It was just, I was so excited. I just couldn't believe I was in this beautiful environment with Gavin Warden, Hans and Barry and 
all this Greg Evans, and I was like starstruck. I couldn't believe it. And I was um, the secretary. The phones would ring off the hook. In those days, the sales department team had no problems because the phones just kept ringing, ringing, ringing. Everyone wanted to advertise on 3XY Rocks Melbourne. Now, what were the circumstances that led to you sitting behind the microphone? Um, back in those days, this was still at the age building before they moved to uh, King Street. Um, they needed a person to do a Bonds Cottontail radio commercial, just a voice, a female voice. And they called me in and I remember Greg Evans saying, you've got a great voice for radio, Liz. And I didn't take much further than that. I thought that's nice coming from Greg Evans. Oh, my God. He told me I had a great voice for radio, the king. Um, and then it just went in the back of my mind. And then we moved from Spencer Street, the age, to King Street, Melbourne, to the new studio. And that is where I met Peter Harrison, Harrow Harrison. The, I think it was Gary Supreme or Greg Smith, who were PD in those days, said one day, we need a traffic girl, a traffic tart. <laughs> and um, I remember one of them gave me a tape recorder and went, go home, put down a couple of fake traffic reports and come back and let's, let us hear it. And I did, and they hired me to do the traffic with Harrow. Okay, what made working with Peter Harrison so much fun? Oh, my God. He was just like a mentor, a teacher, and we hit it off like a house on fire. I, really, I, it was like kind of like Pete and Liz further on down the line. We just got on so well. He buried for Richmond, I buried for Carlton. He was funny on air. He had the best lines ever. I'd laugh at his jokes because they were funny. They're, we were a bit controversial, I reckon, in those days. But, um, oh, look, we just hit it off like a house on fire. It was one of those things. I think I was his traffic girl for about 12 months. And then I went full-time with him for six months. And that was so much fun. I mean, he couldn't get away with the stuff we got away with in those days. He'd say things like... Um, Million dollar voice, 10 cent brain. And the girl that comes to work from a new direction every morning and all these silly little comments, which were all just fun. We just look, it was just a fun time and politically incorrect, I guess, by today's standards. Now, in the late 60s, it was the sensational transfer of Ron Barassi from Melbourne to Carlton that rocked the city. In the 80s, it was Liz being poached to leave 3XY by crosstown rival 3KZ. Is there a story behind that move? Well, how can I put this? I was getting paid peanuts at the time in a nutshell, pardon the pun. But, um, and Harrow had kept trying to get me a rise, you know, being my mentor. But they wouldn't come with more money. And then I got this phone call out of the blue one day from Peter Mean at 3K, said he was a program director, and um, offered me, back in those days, a fair amount of money. Nothing like today, but, you know. And um, so... I had two children, single mum, so I thought, well, I had to go. The money was just too good to knock back. I didn't want to go. Uh, Harold and I were so brokenhearted, and they didn't try to keep me, so it was like, you know, I walked out the door. I remember Harold and I went down to a coffee lounge, and there was an Elton John song playing called, I guess, of the, that's why they call it the blues. And I remember crying. I was so upset to leave him. But... It was a new era, it was a new start, and I never thought it would be so successful.
I suppose you're in the best position to tell us what was the fundamental difference between working at 3XY at the time and then moving to 3KZ? Well, let me see. 3XY was a rock station. And when I went to 3KZ, it was like family, very much a family station. Um, I just got such a shock because I was like a bit of a wild child, 3XY, everything was happening, the double-decker bus, and, you know, it was like, like it was really just fantastic. And I walked into KZ, it was very quiet. Um, everyone was very conservative in those days. And I thought, I don't want to be here. I want to go back to XY. But um, I settled in eventually and got used to it. Lovely people. They really were. Now, 1984 to 1991, it was Pete and Liz at Melbourne 3KZ. Now, what are the elements that are required to ensure that two people are able to stay at the top of the game for such a sustained period in what is a pressure cooker environment? I was kind of, um, looking back, like a marriage. It was like a husband-wife team. We'd have good mornings and we'd have bad mornings. But once that microphone went on, we just gelled. Peter kept saying to me, Radio Elizabeth is theatre of the mind. And I guess he's right in a way. I mean, I think husband, wife, love, hate, just all combined to uh, just, we just meshed together. I don't know. Microphone would go on and it was like Pete and Liz would come together again. You know what I mean? It was, um, and I think we really related to Melbourne. I was told if you can relate to the kit bag and singlet people, the trainers and all those guys, you'll, um, you'll own Melbourne and, and the families. And I think we really loved Melbourne. I'm a Melbourne girl, and I think people felt that. And as I said, being a family station, I think we related to families all over Melbourne, and I think the tradies were a big part of our audience as well. They liked the messing around. We messed around a lot. (laughs) You also got out amongst the people a fair bit too, you two, didn't you? Oh, God, yes. Uh, There was a Peter Mean 60-minute challenge. Um, he'd send me out doing crazy things like in a bridal dress to get married. I remember um, we do crazy stunts. I remember there was a horse running at, oh, my God, country race meeting called Beaver Boy. <laughs> and I used to do the occasional Liz's nose pick, Liz's tip of the day, um, racing tip. And I stupidly ad-libbing in those days was the thing to do. Sit on there, if Beaver Boy does not run first, second or third tomorrow, I will stand naked at the middle of of 3KZ. <laughs> and of course, it's still running. And the phones went crazy after nine o'clock when the, you know, when the race was one bloody horse didn't come in anywhere. <laughs> and because I said I had to stand naked, I had to take all my clothes, I put on a bodysuit, like a, you know, so it looked like I was totally naked, and stand up in front of 3KZ with all that pig traffic going up and down Victoria Street in a bit of cardboard wrapped around me. And some fan turned up with mirrors on his shoes. <laughs> and I had all the tradies stopping in their garbage trucks, kissing me through the window. We do really crazy stuff like that. Which you could not now, you may have noticed that many of the on-air breakfast teams are more often than not made up of three people. What do you think of that sort of dynamic? Look, I'm not a huge radio listener these days. I think um, they've got... Look, Pete and I did a little thing about on radio about two years ago, and it was unbelievable. I had panel producers and about five producers in one room, and I've never seen so many people working on a breakfast show in my life. It was just Pete and I back in those days. So three, look, yeah, probably, but I think Pete and I 
And to a lesser extent, Harrow and I led the way with the duo male-female breakfast team. And I like to think we kind of were trailblazers in that area. Now, for 10 years or so, you had a very good, well-earned run in the cutthroat world of commercial radio with both 3KZ and KZFM until the axe came down in 1991. What happened there? Um, I had a feeling I was going to get the old, you know, shifter out the front door. Things were happening around me. I just had a feeling I was going to be fine, dirty work. But anyway, I, I had a feeling. I don't, people treat you a bit differently. I guess I might have been getting a bit paranoid, but I just had a feeling. Anyway, one Friday after my last shift with Pete, I was called up to Mr. Hull's office. Um, he was the uh, big king, Lynchpino CEO at the time, and um, I was denied. I was told I was no longer needed. And it was a very colourful departure by me. Very colourful language was used. <laughs> I told him he was making the mistake of his life and how could he? And I had two children to support and all that stuff, you know. Um, and I walked out and I said, I remember saying to him, you've made a big mistake. And slammed his door and off I went. And then I went, I don't think I've worked for about six months, but uh, the next day I think a lady replaced me. So it was Pete and another lady, an actress, a Melbourne actress, I think she was. And their ratings plummeted, I think, a couple of percent. So I was like, yes. Anyway, uh, about um, probably about eight months after I left, after I was fired, I um, got a phone call from Liz saying, would you like to come back? And I thought, yes, I would. Number one, I needed the money. And number two, I would like to get back into radio. So I went back. And they teamed me up with Sean Cosgrove. That's right. And we did, uh, I think, Sean and Liz for about three years. That was fun because we kind of embedded the gotcha call. That was a major part of the program and extremely funny. Once again, stuff you wouldn't get away with today. Back in those days, it was all ad lib, all fly with the sea of your pants. You had a bit of an idea of what you were going to do, but basically it was ad lib, no producers, no nothing. So um, gotcha call. And he and I got on very well. We had a bit of a love with horse racing. So Sean and I were mates. I see him occasionally now around the track. But that lasted, I think, about two or three years from memory. It was a long time ago, Paul. <laughs> now, did Cosy get to share some of his really good racing tips with you? We actually owned a racehorse together during that time. And guess what it was called? It was called Naughty Thoughts. And I never got good odds on the horse because of the name. <laughs> Everybody would back it. So I didn't ever get about three to one, two to one, something like that. <laughs> so Sean and I went to quite a few race meetings together. It was a bit of fun back then, yeah. But then Sean decided to move on. And then they decided to get Harrow back. And I was so excited. Because I kind of started my career with Harrow. And then here I am back on air with him. It was so much fun. We just loved it. I think we were together about 12 months before it all fell apart again. But I, I can't believe that I kind of started my career with Harrow, finished it with Harrow, had a great time with Pete Meehan and Sean in the middle. Look, I had a great run. I could never complain, never complain. Now, the birth of Gold 104 was different to both Fox and Eon in that it was simply a name and format change rather than a brand new station. Now, did you get the sense that your audience followed you around or was it more a new beginning? I think it was probably a new beginning, but at the same time, I think a lot of the audience was very loyal. I, I think, look, it was a great, 
it was a great time. It was exciting. I know we paid too much for the license and all that sort of stuff, but um, uh, probably, to be fair, a new beginning. A new beginning. I think Harold and I, had we been given more time, would have built up quite a good audience again. I think when they decided 12 months was enough and it was time to part Liz and Harold again, I remember we had gone up, it was survey day, and we had gone up in the ratings, I think 2%, which in breakfast ratings is quite a big jump. Um, and I remember saying to Harold, I've got a really funny feeling they're going to split us up. And he's like, no. I said, I've got a really bad feeling about this today. And the program director, one of the American gurus, who thinks I know better than everyone else, more Parsons said, I see you two have had a bit of a rise in the uh, ratings. A bit of a rise. Harold and I like a bit of a rise. We went up 2%. That's a huge audience jump. In anybody's books, he goes, oh, yeah, and kept walking up to the heresy. That tells me things aren't good. Okay, here we go again, up the stairs to the to the um, CEO's office, and once again, we've decided to make you redundant. Oh, my God, okay. I don't think radio's going to be me much longer. So that was again and happened, and I was like, oh. So I think Harrow moved on to another shift, and I think, in they, I think they brought in Greg Evans and Tony Jones as our replacements the next day. So if I learnt something from radio, I'd probably suck more to management next time <laughs> and not be such a rebel. I've learned that <laughs> over the years. A bit of brown nosing doesn't hurt. <laughs> We're speaking with the delightful Liz Sullivan on Pilots. And Liz, you worked with three of the best in Harrow, Pete Meehan and Cosy, and obviously brought out the best in them. Now, what did they each have in common and in what way were they different? Oh, my God, that's a great talk about putting me on the spot. Oh my God! Um, oh, Harrow had a razor sharp wit. He was so funny. His one-liners were absolutely hysterical. He had, and the best voice, the a really deep booming voice, which is sensational. I think Harrow sharpest wit, probably by miles. Sorry, guys. Uh, I think Pete Meehan has a charismatic, corporate, gorgeous air about him, and a voice of silk. Um. And Sean is a real ocker Aussie. He's a real Australian bloke. You know, a real, he'd be at home with anyone down the pub, you know what I mean, corporate environment. Sean's like, you know, right across the board. But the three of them are very unique. But I think out of all of them, Pete, the two Peters have remained with me as a best friend. I mean, Harrow and I are still in contact. Pete Meehan and I are still in contact. I work for his wife still, Jan Meehan. She owns an advertising agency in Richmond called Bossman Media, and I still write, I do creative writing for her. So it's been a long journey with the Mians. And Sean, I see at corporate functions when I go, which is not often these days, and Harold Knight and his wife Lee, we're just best friends we meet all the time. Now, just backtracking slightly to Cosy and his gotcha calls, what was your reaction when you heard about the Mel Gregg, Mike Christian tragic call to London? I nearly died. I thought, oh, my God, because we had rung people up and put them on the spot and oh, I, I, I could see how that could happen. Uh, we had a couple that we didn't put to wear, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, uh, uh, I don't think they're a good thing. Now, I, I think, look, times have changed. We are so now politically correct. Back in those days, we weren't. I mean, you can get sued for anything these days, so <laughs> I'm kind of, in a way, very glad I'm not on radio because I've got a pretty big mouth and say things without thinking, and I could be in a lot of trouble if I was on the air 
you know, without the button push-up these days, yeah. Okay, so what makes a good on-air team and what do you think that you are able to consistently add to ensure that you did have a successful on-air career? I would say I'm pretty easygoing. I am what I am. I say what I think and I'm pretty pretty accepting of nearly everything. I mean, I don't judge. I'm look, I'm just me. I'm Liz. Here I am. I've turned up in my shit. Let's do it. You know what I mean? No diva. I am what I am. And I think people realise that. And that's why we had so many fans at 3KZ. I am what I am. So I offered them the whole kit and caboodle. This is me. I am Liz and I'm here to please and let's just have fun. Now, I wonder, was there ever an opportunity for you to do a solo shift? Or better still, were you ever interested in going solo? Gee, you ask some good questions. <laughs> um, no. I got so used to being the foil, the uh, you know, the second fiddle, that I would absolutely freak out if I had to go on air and do a talk show, back show on my own. Or, no, no, I was never offered it. And had I been offered it, I would have said, you've got to be kidding. No, no, no way. So used to it, having a partner. Even um, when I went to um, you know, do a corporate function, I'd like a partner there with me, someone to bounce off. I need to bounce off something. So in answer to your question, a big fat no. <laughs> Classic Hits 104.3, Gold FM. Okay, there's time now for our dozen or so quick jock questions. Okay, here's the first one. Where were you when you heard that John Lennon died? Although, Liz, I suspect you were probably just a babe in arms at that stage. You silver tongue thing, you, Paul. <laughs> Actually, I feel very guilty about this. I don't remember. If you ask me where I was when David Bowie died, I could tell you in a heartbeat. I was at a Tuca on the back veranda of a little house we'd rented for the weekend, and I heard the news David Bowie passed away. I burst into tears. I couldn't believe it. I went inside and went, what? No, because I didn't know he'd been sick, and I'm a lifelong David Bowie fan. So I apologies to Beatle fans. What was the last concert ticket you paid for? <laughs> paid to go and, oh, Walker Brothers, a long, long time ago. I paid to go and see them. I love the Walker Brothers at Festival Hall. That was pretty good. Oh, paid to go and see Lionel Richie. Love Lionel Richie. After the grand final, I thought he did such a great job a few years ago, better than a lot of other acts like Mr Meatloaf. So, Lionel Richie, these days, Paul, I pay for everything. <laughs> Those lurks and perks are long gone. <laughs> the concert act that you are disappointed that you never got to see. Queen, Freddie Mercury, Melbourne, 1970-something. Didn't go. Oh, my God. What a concert that would have been. I'm a bit of a Queen fan. I don't know why I didn't go. I probably didn't have the money. I... I was probably in, in the middle of being fired from some radio station, so <laughs> couldn't afford it at the time, but definitely Queen. Would love to have seen Freddie. That one word that you had trouble pronouncing on air. Oh, my God. OMG. Oh, God. Kia. The car company, Kia. Spelled K-I-A, Kia. Um, so when I looked at it, I was reading a live ad. It was Kaya. I was saying, and get yourself a Kaya car, because to me it was car. I'd never heard of Kia before. Sorry, Kia people, if you're listening, I apologise profusely. Because if Raphael drives your cars, that's okay with me. Um, Kia, I couldn't say it, K-I-A, and even when they wrote it down, K-W-Y-A, so I'd say it properly on there, I still couldn't say it. It was like, I don't had a Rottweiler called uh, Kaya. So I kept calling it Kaya. I couldn't say Kia. It was ridiculous. I used to get so many dirty looks from people, so I mucked up the ad again. 
So that's my one word, Kia. Great motorcars, by the way. <laughs> Was there ever an incident on air? Hold it, we'll change this one to how many times were there an incident on air that had you thinking that you might get those Don't Come Monday orders? Oh, I wouldn't say because they did get me into trouble. <laughs> I got a diary sent to me uh, with lots of quotes. The diary was called All Men of Bastards, sent to me by something. They're not, by the way, but that was a diary title. And every day I had a quote about men. And I said to Harrow, I'm going to use this line about men on air. And he said, think about it, don't use it. I used the line, I'm not going to use it now, because I thought it was funny at the time. And the phones went berserk. I got into so much trouble. I'm not going to repeat the line. He, I thought it was funny funny at the time but it wasn't obviously <laughs> you live and you learn your preference skyhooks or sherbet 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 how's that love it yes sherbet the stones or the beetles stones uh loved the beetles when i was young but as i went through that you know that state nah stones mick jagger definitely the rolling stones do you have a most treasured piece of memorabilia from those heady radio days I've got plenty of scrapbooks full of clippings, but my, uh, out in the garage, I hate to say it's the garage, gathering dust is a Pete and Liz taxi bank. Like all the taxis in Melbourne used to have Pete and Liz entertaining Melbourne and a big yellow sign. So out in the garage, somewhere I can find it, I have got a Pete and Liz taxi bank. <laughs> I wish I'd kept KZ Koalas. Uh, that would have been fun. That would be worth a bit now, but never mind. Can you recall the biggest news story that broke while you were on air? Oh, my God, I think winning the America's Cup, first time round with Harrow, I think I was outside doing a street cross from somewhere and all these cars were tuning their horns and going absolutely off their faces. And that was the morning, I think, we won the America's Cup and it had just come on the radio that we'd won it. And Melbourne seemed to go berserk. Cars were tooting, people were yelling out of windows. So that would be one of the big stories. I'm sure there were plenty more, but look, so many memories, so many years, but that's one that springs to mind. Liz, was there ever a moment when someone walked into your studio and you were suddenly starstruck? A pulse pounder, a knee trembler. <laughs> um, Mel Gibson. Mel, I, we interviewed Mel, I think he brought out um, his latest movie, oh, this Shakespearean thing, back then. Um, and he we were, he was down to come into the studio about quarter to nine. Well, the place was like, everyone was like so excited Mel Gibson was coming in. They were all told to keep away, you know, behind closed doors. Don't don't come out and make him cross or anything. He was a bit tired, a bit grumpy, but he was very nice. But I was so disappointed because he was like, he's short. I wanted him to be six and five and a man like on TV when you see him in the movies. But he was very nice. All he wanted was a cigarette. But the no-smoking bands had just been brought into the studio, so he was grumpy because he couldn't have a cigarette. Very mumbly, but uh, my knees were trembling. I And my pulse was pounding. And in later years, after when I went into PR after radio, and I'm very ashamed to say this, <clears throat> being a seasoned PR person at the time and thinking I could handle celebrities, when I met Manu, you know, from uh, My Kitchen Rules, Manu the Frenchman, oh, my God, I couldn't get my words out. He came out and goes, hello, I am Manu, and I went, I should have said, hi, I'm Miss Sullivan. I'm doing PR for you know, blah, blah, blah. And I just went, oh, my God, you're gorgeous. I can't believe I would do that. <laughs> but in answer to your question, definitely Mel Gibson. The best words of advice from a program manager or boss? Less 
is more. From Peter Sinclair a long time ago, and he's very right. Don't you think, what's he talking about? But now, I'm older. I understand less is more, leave them wanting more type of thing. So I get it. Uh, Peter Mean used to say, keep it peppermint fresh. She was a PD. So I kind of get that. And more theatre, please. So those three come to mind every time. And finally, three albums that you believe were the soundtrack of your teenage years. David Bowie, Changes. David Bowie, Aladdin Sane. David Bowie, Diamond Dogs. David Bowie, Heroes. David Bowie, David Bowie, David Bowie. (laughs) Hey, Liz Sullivan, thanks so much for joining us on Pilots and sharing some great memories of what can only be described as a stellar radio career. Thanks, Paul. It's been a lot of fun. I think I might want to get back into radio now. You've got the old itch going again. I'm ready to go again. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. I'll see you soon. Anything else before we go? Is it okay or is it shit else? <laughs> <laughs>